0: And the last thing you want is a woman with her fingers up right up in there inside you telling you to let go of her fingers. You have to be your biggest fan. And when things are really tough and they're really rough and nothing's working. But something Hello, welcome back to the podcast. My name's Imogen, your host. And today's podcast is all about endometriosis. This is part two of a two part series. So if you haven't checked out part one, um, this episode follows on directly from that episode. So please do check out the previous episode to this one. So it makes sense. Uh-huh. So let me take you back to 2016, 17-ish, I think it was. I was in Salford Hospital and I was seen by a gynecologist. I went into the room and um, all was well. She seemed like she was okay. She seemed obviously very knowledgeable. She was a gynecologist and she listened to me go through all of my medical history, all of my symptoms that were leading me up to this point of feeling like I've got endometriosis. And um, the first kind of red flag that went on in the room was her telling me that I was going to have a blue dye test. And then she kind of popped out the room for a moment and then came back in and I think she'd spoken to another doctor to get their opinion and basically retracted me having a blue dye test. If you don't know what a blue dye test is, a blue dye test is basically checking all is well down there um, for fertility. Now I believe, I don't know for certain, but I believe the reason why she retracted it is probably because the doctor said to um, this gynecologist, well we don't actually know We haven't had any investigations, she hasn't been diagnosed with endometriosis and she hasn't actually been trying for a baby, so why would you kind of suggest a blue dye test um, when that is to check if the fallopian tubes are um, working correctly and they're unblocked. Now, obviously, at this point, fair enough, like, if, if doctors need second opinions, that is absolutely grand with me. Um, but it kind of just set the tone for the appointment of how it then went on to what I'm going to tell you now. So she asked me to get up onto the bed and, um, examinations for me are quite painful anyway. Um, they're not a very relaxing time. Although I do try and do, you know, the meditative, meditative, meditative breathing, making sure that I'm nice and relaxed. I'm not tense get on the bed and without really any kind of warning, she she just whoop, goes right up in there. And I'm like, oh, like tense. My body is tense. My shoulders are tight. They're raised. I am clenching. Like I am not letting this bitch go. Like I've fully got my vagina wrapped right around there. And I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go for anybody because I'm so tense. And she says to me, Do you want to let go of my fingers? And I'm like, Man, alive. I thought you were a nurse. I thought you were supposed to be compassionate. Like, I'm literally no dignity, absolutely no dignity. That was left in 2000 and flipping 15 when I probably was on the bathroom floor fainting because my periods are that painful and this woman is telling me can you let go of my fingers well um it turns out i actually end up having a condition that basically is so tense down there and there's a number of factors that can contribute this, um, psychological factors, etc, etc, that's another story for another, another day, but this whole experience for me was just horrific, she just, the way she dealt with it was not very professional, she just made me feel so belittled, and like, she just ripped, ripped my dignity away from me, the way she was acting with me was very, very like, just forceful and just, just not a very compassionate lady. And honestly, this is probably my worst examination I've ever had. I'm sure we're all aware that most Most times, you do get very, very compassionate nurses, but unfortunately, this day was not her day, and it was not my day. She was just really harsh in her approach. She wasn't gentle whatsoever. She just shoved her fingers right up there, and I was quite clearly in pain. I was in a lot of pain afterwards. I had really, really bad cramps because it was a painful experience, and she just gave off this vibe that she just wasn't wasn't in a very good mood and I was the one who she was taking it out on don't get me wrong nothing phases me now with internal examinations because I've had so many of them in the past and the majority of nurses are very compassionate caring and are gentle so I don't want you to let my experience put you off in the slightest so then this gynecologist that I had a bad experience with she actually ended up doing my surgery at Solved and she ended up doing ablation. If you don't know what ablation is, ablation basically uses laser technology to kind of burn off any lesions, um, scarring, anything like that if endometriosis is found. Um, it's not the most optimal treatment for endometriosis when surgeons operate and excision is actually supposed to be um, the most optimal in terms of um, recovery time and um, it growing back. It is supposed to grow back at a slower rate if it is excised, which is basically cutting it away instead of burning it away. However, to excise um, very sensitive areas, areas that are extremely important and can be damaged easily, like the bladder, etc. Um, a lot of doctors don't actually have enough experience with excision, hence why they they tend to go for ablation if they don't have as much experience. Um, highly experienced, skilled doctors know how to excise endometriosis. So, Um, Going back to the surgery, um, she, she did the laparoscopy in 2017, I think it was August 2017 and I ended up coming out of the surgery and she diagnosed me with endometriosis. And they found endometriosis on my perineal lining, which is the series membrane lining the cavity of the abdomen and covering the abdominal organs. Bladder all over my pelvis, the pouch of Douglas and the peritoneal, they couldn't get the endometriosis off. They couldn't get the, she couldn't get the endometriosis off my bladder or the peritoneal um, lining. I think it's peritoneal or is it perineal? I don't know. I'm pretty sure that I'm just reading from my notes basically. So that's kind of, that was, that was the results that I had. Obviously, because she um, wasn't as experienced, she didn't want to attempt to try and get it off my bladder because there was a high risk of my bladder being um, damaged permanently. And that was in August 2017. That surgery, so that was when I actually was officially told I had endometriosis. So after years, after in 2013 being told I didn't have it, Years go past. In 2017, that was when I finally got the answers that I was looking for. All of that time I was made to feel crazy and mental um, all just hit me. It really did hit me. It was really emotional. And I don't know if anyone anyone who's listening has actually had surgery at all or been put under uh, general anaesthetic, general anaesthetic is so strong and if you're quite sensitive with your mental health, if you've suffered with depression, it can be a trigger and make you feel really low uh, for the days after what when the, when the drugs are kind of slowly coming off, coming out of your system and that is exactly what happened to me, I just kind of like was hit with this post-surgery blues and um, And it, it, yeah, when she told me after the surgery, she said, you've got endometriosis. Um, This is where it was found. I I just broke down because it was just, it wasn't a shock. I was expecting it, but it was almost like, yeah, we're listening to you now. We get it. Yes, you're right. You do have it." it. It was that whole realization that other people are aware of what's going on and I'm not just it's not just in my head I'm not just making it up this is actually a health condition that I have been suffering with and I am suffering with and I'm finally getting the um I finally getting the medical care or so I thought that I needed um so so because I had ablation um in that surgery unfortunately it grew back pretty quickly post-surgery within about six to eight months after that surgery i started getting severe pain again and it gradually got worse month by month so from 2017 to 2019 i set out on my mission to um find another highly experienced doctor this time to perform another surgery and thankfully i'm now with the bsge center um, there's BSGE centres across the UK, and basically it it stands for British Society for Gynecology, British Society for Gynecological Endoscopy, and it's it basically has a set of guidelines that all gynecologists have to follow. Um, so if you're part of an endometriosis centre care centre, um, then they actually have like a, a, a actual accredited guidelines to follow and they have um, the highest kind of experience consultants t- to do your surgeries. Um, so now, now I'm with one of those centres um, and I fortunately, um, I feel so grateful the fact that I was able to have a surgery as well. Um, so I had surgery in 2020 by a highly skilled um, consultant and it was a different experience because it was through lockdown and it kept on getting pushed back and pushed back um, and then finally I think it was when the government were basically putting all of the surgeries in private hospitals so they could get the surgeries completed so these waiting lists weren't piling up and piling up because that's what was ended, what ended up happening over um, lockdown because no no surgeries were being performed by the usual doctors, so I ended up having my actual consultant, uh, who's been my consultant for um, three years now, uh, so he performed the surgery in 2020, and he was able to perform excis- excision, and he was able to excise it off my bladder, which was causing me a lot of aggro since my last surgery, to be honest, Um, and I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful for having that surgery. I got a lot of relief from it, um, a lot of months um, relief, but unfortunately, I do think (laughs) it's coming back. Uh, It could be it could be the scar tissue because unfortunately with surgery you do get scar tissue which can make the endometriosis worse because scar tissue is rough and then endometriosis is is absolutely having a party in there because it's got so many little rough bits to attach to. Um, As well as like nerve damage, there's so many things that you need to consider when you are having surgery especially if it's something like endometriosis. So in um, July 2020, I was diagnosed, um, sorry, I wasn't diagnosed, I was already diagnosed with endometriosis, but the the surgeon basically said that it was stage three endometriosis, um, which involves small cysts on one or more uh, or both ovaries. Uh, presence of flimsy adhesions and um, involves some deep implants Um, and I had endometriosis on my peritoneal lining which is the lining that protects all of your organs and goes around all of your organs Um, it was found in my bladder all over my pelvis my pouch of Douglas um, and peritoneal and I think I think that's it there might have been a couple of areas I've missed off Okay, finally, I'm going to talk about fertility. Um, I'm sorry it's getting on. And thank you so much if you're still listening to this. I hope that I'm not boring you. I hope this is interesting somewhat. Um, And I, I do think it's really important that we talk about this because even if you don't personally suffer with endometriosis, when you have children, you could have a girl, God forbid, you could have someone... Um, one of your children could have endometriosis and it's really important that we raise awareness for this um, so that we can support other people, not just support ourselves. We might have a friend that has endometriosis or um, as I say, your future child or cousin or anything like that. It's really valuable knowing all of this information and realizing what what a deliberating condition this is as well because a lot of people know of endometriosis but they don't actually know the full effects of it and they don't know how painful it can actually be. So I'm going to talk about fertility now. This is quite um, a sensitive topic for me because uh, it's something that I've uh, I've been going through for the past three years. So it's been a long old slog. But I'm also very aware that there are women out there and couples out there that have been struggling for a lot longer than three years. Um, I'm, I'm a part of this app called Peanuts, which is a fertility-based app. And there's a lot of women I see complaining on there that have spent eight, nine, 10, 12 years even struggling with fertility. So I'm well aware that three years doesn't even sound that big of a number when I compare to some other women out there. Fertility has always been in the back of my mind ever since I knew I could potentially have endometriosis. I also have an auntie and a cousin who has endometriosis so realistically when I was a teenager experiencing period pains it was kind of in my head back then even though obviously I didn't want a child um, when I was a teenager. I did think there was a little, little niggling feeling in the back of my head that I would have some struggles in the future with fertility. Um, So last year, I decided to go down the route of um, private fertility care. So I just wanted to kind of have a bit of an MOT. um, And I knew the waiting lists were really bad on the NHS. And I just felt like, I was approaching 29. I'm not getting any younger. I needed to put my mind at rest. Um, so myself and my partner went to a fertility clinic um, and d- went down the private route. Bought the, d- I know that's not for everyone. It can be very expensive. We spent a lot of money at the fertility clinic and that was without actually getting any um, any IVF or anything like that. Um, so I would advise to go, go to your doctor, go to your GP, if you are in the UK, UK, I know it's very different in America, and you actually do have to pay for your own treatment, but if you are in the UK, I would advise you to go to your GP first, and I probably, looking back on it now, I probably would have gone down the GP route, um, because we did spend a lot of money, um, so I ended up get, getting some tests done, and my test came back, Just before Christmas, um, saying that I had extremely low ovarian reserve. If you don't know what ovarian reserve is, it refers to the number and quality of eggs you have left. A low ovarian egg reserve means you have less than the average number of eggs expected for a woman of your age. Um, And just to put this into perspective, um, for my age, my ovarian reserve should be between 13 and 50. Pmol. I'm just looking to make sure I've got that on, right. Yeah, pmol slash L um, is one measure, and some pe- some doctors measure it in uh, ng slash mL. Um, so a normal range in the ng mL is a uh, 1.5 to a four. Um and this is under the age of 35, and mine is 0.6. So, mine is below the low normal range. Low normal range is between 1 and 1.5. Mine's 0.6. Uh, so, it's extremely low. Um, I think in the other measure, in if you was to measure in a PMOL slash L, um, mine is... About three or four, I think it is, and that is basically the egg reserve of uh, an over forty-year-old. And that was v- a hard pillow. P- a pillow, not a hard pillow. God, imagine swallowing swallowing a pillow. <laughs> that would be well. That would be painful. Um, no, that was that was a hard pill to swallow, and it was something that I kind of, I mean, I didn't suspect that, because I didn't actually know enough about ovarian reserve at that point, but I did suspect that there was something not right, because people around me were getting pregnant pretty, pretty fast, and in my eyes, I was still quite young at the time, I was 27, 28, Uh, that's pretty young uh, still, um, but it just wasn't happening, so I ended up getting some tests done, and that's that's what the test came back, and said that I had low ovarian reserve. Um, now, you can't actually increase your ovarian reserve, although there are, there's some, been some scientific studies on things like CO, I think it's called COQ10, um, and that is a, it's basically you already have it in your body, and that is uh, related to your fertility. And as you age, it deteriorates, it, d- it diminishes. So you can actually take an oral supplement um, of CoQ10 uh, to help boost it. And uh, there's been some scientific studies on that. Um, it's supposed to help you improve your air quality and things like that. It's it's actually supposed to also help improve sperm quality as well um so there are things that you can do to improve the quality uh but unfortunately not the quantity uh yeah so i mean i don't want to say i'm i mean i am i'm i'm basically infertile uh there are people that have got pregnant with my my Ovarian reserve? Well, not my actual ovarian reserve. I'm not dishing out all of my eggs, my leftover eggs. Um, <laughs> I mean, the actual quantity that I have. Um, women have also got pregnant with my quantity. But the majority of the, them have been successful with pregnancies uh, when they go through IVF. It is something that I've battled with in my head I've thought oh my god maybe it's not the endometriosis that's caused me the infertility issues maybe it's maybe it's the fact that I was on the contraceptive pill for four years um maybe it's this maybe it's that maybe it's because I drank too much maybe and then you start beating yourself up but that is just a vicious circle that nobody needs to go down, and you don't need to be beating yourself up. So, if you're going through the same thing as me, I'm sure you can relate to those guilty feelings and kind of almost putting the blame on yourself. Um, but I just want you to know that it's it's not anything that you've done specifically. You could have done things completely differently and still be in the same boat today. Uh, we can't live our life like that. Um, now, I've basically been told by my doctor at the fertility clinic that if I do, um, well, they obviously know that I want want to have children, um, but they basically said that anytime treatment for endometriosis has uh, come up with doctors, um, that I need to make sure that they're aware of my extremely low egg reserve, Uh, Because things like hormonal treatment for endometriosis can severely impact your egg reserve. So, in hindsight, am I glad that I didn't uh, take the option of having PROSTAP in um, 2017? Yes, I'm glad that I made that decision for me personally. Because I could be in a worse position now. Um but that's not to that's not to suggest that you if you're going down the same route PROSAP might actually work for you uh, just because it's not fit into my how I've dealt with endometriosis it doesn't mean that it won't work for somebody else i know some girls that have had that and then have gone on to have a successful pregnancy um so it's it's a lot more complex than what i'm actually kind of digressing so if there's one thing that I really want you to take away from this podcast it's to really advocate for yourself when it comes to medical history and standing up for yourself because you know your own body more than anybody else more than anybody docs any any doctor you know what you're feeling and you can express your symptoms um much better than any doctor can so um if there's anything that I've learned from my diagnosis, it's that you need if you're experiencing to, symptoms, especially to do with your reproductive system, you need to find a doctor that will listen and don't stop until you do find one. Because there will be one eventually. Get second, third, fourth, fifth opinions if you have to, but you know your own body and um, unfortunately the way the system is designed, things get missed all the time, especially with things like PCOS, endometriosis and other reproductive issues that women have. Write a diary, um, see if month by month there's a correlation between your cycle and the symptoms, the pain, Um, see if uh, if any particular food you've eaten that day might have impacted your symptoms um, and take that diary along to an appointment and push back, push and fight your corner. That's what I've learned in the past 10 years of um, getting diagnosed with endometriosis and I'm just grateful now that if I do end up having a baby through Maybe adoption or IVF, anything like that, that I will have the knowledge for my own daughters um, to be able to fight their corner as well. Um, And we all just need to stick together as women. We all need to share our knowledge on reproductive issues and share the wealth because that is how we are going to get over these things, deal with these things, and really make ourselves better. And if you're someone who hasn't yet started your fertility journey yet, or you're not interested in having children, I hope you've kind of had some kind of um, benefit from this podcast as well. I would advise you, if you haven't already, to read Uh, Fix Your Period by Nicole Jardin. Um, It's a really, really good book that covers so many different conditions, not just endometriosis and PCOS, but a whole variety of women's issues. Um, And she goes into detail with with a six-week program that you can implement to try and combat those hormonal imbalances, which are all linked they're all linked to our gut and um, our endocrine system is a very, very important system that needs to be looked after. And we're not taught about this in school enough. So I wish you all the health and happiness and hope you enjoyed this podcast. I will see you next week for a really exciting podcast episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.